This week on the Dylan and Dylan Show, the out-of-the-box draft of the Dylan's favorite MLB teams, the Detroit Tigers and the St. Louis Cardinals. The guys conclude their baseball previews with looks at their favorite teams. Q&A covers the Lakers' collapse and the tainted feel of March Madness. And This Week in Sports covers two early predictions for the MLB. Welcome back to another exciting Dylan and Dylan show this week. Back at it again on this Friday, April 8th edition of the number one Tar Heels podcast in the nation. Feeling for our fellow Heels fans in North Carolina today after the tough loss to Kansas in the title game. But happy to be here amongst friends today. Dylan Jesperson here. Dylan Holtz joining me as always. Dylan, how are you doing today? I'm doing better today than I was Monday. Our, our Tar Heels put up a really good fight against a really good Kansas team. Uh, it looked really, really good in the first half. Man, they were rolling. Uh, and then Kansas pulled off a historic comeback. That was tough. It was a really, really fun run that we went on since before the ACC tournament. That last Duke-Carolina uh, game at Cameron Indoor, that's when this really started. It's been a whole lot of fun. Uh, but, yeah, it was, it was a tough beginning of the week for our Tar Heel faithful. Uh, but – Basketball is behind us now, or college basketball. We still got a lot of NBA going, but college basketball is behind us. Baseball's here, and I'm excited to dive into a whole lot of baseball. I'm going to get to talk a lot about my St. Louis Cardinals today, and I cannot wait. And I can't wait to hear what you have to say about your Detroit Tigers. But first, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. I'm right with there with you. I'm sad that college basketball is wrapped, but I'm excited to get into the NBA playoffs. And then obviously baseball is back and hopefully the weather will start to get weather warmer here pretty quickly and we'll have a uh, perfect baseball weather. So we've got a baseball sandwich planned for you guys here today, but a reminder to rate and review the show wherever you get podcasts. Uh, it really helps us out when you do that. This week, we are getting into the out of the box with a bit of a twist this week. We'll not be drafting from the same pool of players because this week's draft will feature the greatest players or our favorite players from our favorite baseball teams, the Detroit Tigers and the St. Louis Cardinals. We will draft teams in three phases, infield, outfield, and pitchers, uh, and construct a lineup that we'll, uh, we'll, vote, uh, we'll have you guys vote against as always. But I think it should be pretty fun. Hopefully the poll will go a bit differently than the last two times these play- teams played in the World Series back in 06. Uh, but, Dylan, it really doesn't matter who goes first at this point. Do you want to take it? Or do you want to – where would you – would you rather go first or second? I don't care. Your call. I'll go first. I'll, I'll take it first. We're going to start with the infield. I'm starting at my catcher spot. This should be a pretty familiar pick if you guys remember the uh, the guess who back in the day. It's Pudge Rodriguez. He was my original first favorite player, first favorite Tiger. He's, a, he's an amazing catcher, Hall of Famer. He's a short king. I, I wrote this down, five feet, nine inches. Uh, for, so for a Hall of Famer, I mean, that there's not a lot of baseball players that are that tall and, and very, very good at what they do. But uh, obviously a catcher, you can get away with it. And he did. He was a 1999 AL MVP with the Rangers, but 14-time All-Star, 13-time Gold Glove, seven-time Silver Slugger. Uh, Pudge is definitely one of the best catchers of all time. And I was happy to see him in a, in a Tigers uniform. Moving on to first base, another future Hall of Famer, maybe the greatest hitter of all time. 
I, I'm, t- I'm talking Miguel Cabrera. I mean, two-time MVP, 2012 Triple Crown, uh, first time that was done since 1967, an 11-time All-Star, seven-time Silver Slugger, four-time batting champ. Miguel Cabrera speaks for himself. He's one of the greatest hitters of all time. Uh, at second base, up the middle, I, I went with – this is the only place I really went somewhere where I didn't see these guys play because this is just – if you're a Tigers fan, you hear these two names all the time. At second base, I got Lou Whitaker. He's the – Best non-Hall of Fame player of all time. Five-time All-Star, three-time Gold Glove, four-time Silver Slugger. He has a career war of 75.1, and he's not in the Hall of Fame. 2,369 career hits, 1,084 RBI, uh, uh, 276 career average, and he was on that 84 World Series team. At shortstop, it's Alan Trammell, his his mate. Uh, He is in the Hall of Fame. Six-time All-Star, four-time Gold Glove, three-time Silver Slugger, 84 World Series MVP, uh, I mean, career war of 70.7. He's got it all. And then at third base, uh, third base is a little lacking for the Tigers, to be honest. So I went with my third baseman, Ed's Brandon Inge. Uh, he's, uh, when I started watching baseball, he was the Tigers' third baseman. He was an All-Star in 09, he had 152 career home runs, 1,000. 166 hits. He's one of the best fielding third baseman for a long time in the MLB. If you look up Brandon Inch fielding highlights, that's probably the first thing will come up. He was a, he was a really good third baseman converted catcher to third base and did it really well. Uh, and then I'll, I'll throw my DH in there. Probably a lot of people think I'm going Prince Fielder. I'm going Dimitri Young. He was the older brother of Delman Young. He was the DH for the Tigers. When I first started watching baseball, two-time all-star uh, 13, 89 hits, uh, career average of 292, 648 scored runs, 683 RBI. So very consistent, scored a lot of runs, drove in a lot of runs, very consistent, very solid first baseman DH, kind of the mold of the new DH before there even was one. So um, infield, I think maybe the most solid part of my team. Uh, so I'm pretty happy with my picks. I'll throw it to you, let you go through your infield. Yeah, I like those picks a lot. And I, I think – our infields, the like skill level, very similar. They're both going to be really, really good. Obviously, St. Louis Cardinals, there's so many legendary players. I'm excited to get into it. I'm going to start with DH because uh, I was telling Dylan before the show, the Cardinals, the only time they used the DH is when we played uh, interleague with AL or in the World Series. But as of today, Thursday, April 8th, 7th, whatever today is, uh, opening day, the Cardinals are using a DH and NL play. And that's Albert Pujols. So I got to have Albert Pujols as the all-time DH. Uh, Pujols, 21 home runs away from 700, three-time MVP, a million-time all-star, a million-time everything else. And he's the machine, one of the greatest players to ever touch a bat. Uh, you have, have to have Albert Pujols. And I put Pujols to DH because I'm going to slide another all-time great at first base, and that's Mark McGuire. Uh, I was trying to figure out a way to have both these guys on this team, and that was my loophole, getting Pujols at DH, getting Mark McGuire, uh, who should be a Hall of Famer, but uh, we know all the the silliness that goes on with the voters. We've talked about that a million times. McGuire's not in the Hall of Fame just because a bunch of silly gooses won't put him there. Uh, at second base, I have a Hall of Famer, Roger Hor- Rogers Hornsby. Uh, obviously, I didn't get to watch Rogers Hornsby growing up. He played a long time ago, but – Hall of Famer, uh, did it all in uh, St. Louis. He's just an all-time great. He's one that old Cardinal fans talk about, real old Cardinal fans talk about, because he played a long time ago. Uh, but he he's one of the OGs that won quite a few championships for the Birds back in the day. Uh, flipping to the other side, shortstop, Ozzie Smith, another Hall of Famer. Uh, the Wizards iconic for Cardinal fans, especially like the generation 
maybe two generations before me. That's that's the guy they grew up with that was making great defensive plays, making plays with the bat, doing everything he could uh, to to make the Cardinals the Cardinals uh, and make the Cardinals a little more flashy than what they really are. And he was kind of before his time with that, doing the backflips and such. Uh, third base was my toughest one by far because I, I didn't know where to go with this. And I looked up some stuff. I was like, I, I don't know who the best third baseman is. And a lot of websites that rank the Cardinals' best positions of all time, a lot of them put Kim Boyer, who's the only Cardinal to have his number retired by the team but not be in the Hall of Fame. Um, I like Ken. I think Ken's really good. I think Kid could be a Hall of Famer. But I'm going to go with a guy that hasn't been a Cardinal for that long. I'm going to go with Nolan Arenado because I think Nolan's going to be a Cardinal until the end of his career, and Nolan's going to do a lot of really good things for the Cardinals, and Nolan's going to be in the Hall of Fame when it's all said and done. And Nolan Arenado's one of the best third basemen. I've got one of the best players in the entire MLB today. Uh, and hopefully no one will hear this and he'll, he'll, uh, he'll see how appreciated he is. Uh, and yeah, no one rounds out my infield for my all time Cardinals lineup. Uh, I'll throw it back to you for your outfield or pitchers, wherever you want to go. Yeah. I'm going to go to the outfield sticking with the position players for now. Obviously love those picks tough to tough to compete with the Cardinals infield, but again, I've, it's nice to know that third base was a little bit tough in, in St. Louis as it was in Detroit, uh, going to the outfield, uh, I'm glad you picked a guy like Nolan Arenado because a couple of my outfielders are kind of like that, where it's like you know, they're kind of an import player, but they they did play in Detroit and they're one of the best players at their position. Uh, in center field, Curtis Granderson kind of lives up to that because many people remember him as a Yankee or as a Met, but he started his career in Detroit, played most of his career in Detroit, uh, and he was a very, very good center fielder. Three-time All-Star, 47.2 career war, 1,800 hits, uh, career batting average of 249. I mean, Curtis Granderson uh, was the original center fielder for me. A lot of these guys are just like, when I first started watching baseball, they were the guy that took over that position in the, in, in Tigers, uh, in the Tigers lore. Uh, so that's just who sticks out in my mind. And, but Curtis Granderson was a great player and I have no problem sticking him in center field in right field. JD Martinez. Uh, it's tough to pass up a guy like JD Martinez and, and like, he is still one of the most feared bats in the league uh, and really found himself in Detroit. He was in the Astros organization, uh, couldn't figure it out, found himself in Detroit, but now he's a four-time all-star, three-time silver slugger. He's already got 1,376 hits. I mean, that's pretty crazy as uh, like, he's only like 29 years old or something like that. So uh, 290 career average, 266 home runs. JD Martinez, it still has a lot to go in his career. Uh, so I think that that as time ages, I think people are going to realize that. And then left field, I got to stick Ty Cobb in there somewhere. I'm obviously like he's one of the most iconic guys, Hall of Fame, MVP, Triple Crown. He had 12 time, 12 batting titles. I didn't even realize this. He had a 366 career average. That's pretty crazy. Uh, 4,189 hits in his career. Obviously, different era. And uh, you, you probably know this now. He was a terrible human being. Don't really need to get into it that much, but I don't want to give him too much shine, but he, I can't not put him on this list. So Ty Cobb rounds out my outfield. I'll throw it back to you. I like those picks a lot. Um, JD Martinez. I got to watch him as a member of the Tigers. And I remember he, him coming up to bat. He had a home run at Bush stadium. And I was like, wow, that cat is good. Like I, I had heard the name. I'd, kind of become familiar with him. I was like, this guy, like he's got some. So I, I, I like that pick a lot. And obviously what he's become is he's a star. Uh, my outfield is a lot of old guys because I, I tried, I was going to try to fit in guys that I've seen, but just these guys, the three hall of famers, and you can't ignore that. Um, 
I'm going to start with an iconic Cardinal, probably the best Cardinal of all time, Stan the Man Musial. I mean, that's a guy that I heard stories about when I was a wee little lad in West Kentucky, and I remember wearing number six playing baseball because of Stan Musial. And I never saw him play. I just heard the stories. They're like, yeah, he was awesome. And, like, as, like, time went on, I, like, when Mike Trout was becoming Mike Trout, I heard people say, yeah, that's kind of what Stan Musial was like. If he was like Mike Trout, hey, fair enough. Stan Musial, I want him on my team. Um, and then sliding over to the next outfield spot, Lou Brock, another Hall of Famer, another iconic career that as a Cardinals fan, I've heard a million stories about the things Lou Brock did for the organization. And then the last outfield spot, Eno Slaughter. I haven't heard as many stories about Slaughter, but that's a name that if you look out in left field at Bush Stadium, you'll see all the iconic names, the iconic jerseys that are retired. They have their numbers and uh, the names underneath like a jersey. And Slaughter's one that I always catch your eye because Slaughter's a cool name. That's just – it sticks out, especially in sports. Like, yeah, that's Slaughter. He slaughters the ball. Um, so, I, I've i heard the name. I obviously know he's a retired jersey. I was like – I knew he was a Hall of Famer. I didn't know much about him. Looked him up. I was like, yeah, I, I, I had to put him in over uh, a guy like Matt Holliday. So, I, I wanted to put Matt Holliday in. I couldn't get him in. Jim Edmonds was another guy. It's Slaughter had to get the spot. Uh, but I can't be upset with three Hall of Famers in the outfield. That. <laughs> I, I wanted to put in a guy I knew, but uh, I'm not gonna not gonna get upset about three Hall of Famers. Uh, so I'll go with Mutual Brock and Slaughter, and I'll give it to you for your pitchers. Absolutely. So we're going with. Uh, I obviously love those picks. I can't. The Cardinals are stacked with Hall of Fame talent, so it's tough to even criticize any of those picks at, at any point. So love them. Obviously, we're going starter, reliever, and closer uh, for our final three pitcher spots starter. I think it's a pretty easy pick. It's JV all, all day. And I think he might be one of the best pitchers. He's right up there with Nolan Ryan for best pitchers of all time. I mean, he is seriously one of the best 2011 MVP, two Cy Youngs should be a lot more. I, he's been screwed out of a few Cy Youngs uh, pitching triple crown back in the day, eight time all-star 71.7 career war and over 3000 career strikeouts. And, he's probably still got like two or three years left. He's still is yet to hit like that old, you know, veteran pitcher phase. He was still kind of elite in Houston. And now we're going to see, you know, what, what he can really do just as like his, the tail end of his career. But at his best, when he was young and in Detroit, he was untouchable. Those two no hitters are two of my favorite memories as a, as a Tigers fan. So I have to have JV in my starter spot. In my reliever spot, I got Joel Zamaya. Uh, there's not there's not many relievers that you can find out there that are gonna have like eye catching stuff. Uh, he only pitched for five years before his arm like fell apart, but he was consistently at like 102, 103 on the radar gun before guys were doing that consistently. Uh, and I remember him touching 105 on the radar gun at one point, and I was like, D this guy is insane. This guy, if he can pitch for a long time. He's going to be one of the best of all time. Obviously didn't because arms aren't meant to do that. But in terms of raw talent, Joel Zamaya had to be on there. If you can bottle up the, like, that one year when he was healthy and really throwing well, then that's the Joel Zamaya I want. Uh, and then at closer, Jose Valverde for one year was the best closer in the league. And it was in the Tigers. He had 49 saves in 2011. I mean, that's pretty ridiculous for any closer. Jose Valverde was not like a guy who racked up saves by any means in his career. He was a pretty solid closer, but that one year he finished fifth in the Cy Young voting. I mean, he was so good. He was very, very good. And probably the best, he, it was the best single year 
from a closer I've ever seen. And it was in the Tigers uniform. So I had to have him on there. He, he ended up falling apart the very next year. But again, bottle up just 2011 Jose Valverde. And that's the version I'm putting on this team. Uh, I'll throw it to you. What is your pitching staff looking like? So my pitching staff, the starter, got to go Bob Gibson, RIP, uh, the greatest starting pitcher in Cardinals history. Uh, I saw an interesting note, Adam Wainwright, he, he started today for the Cardinals on opening day. Uh, I figured Wainwright would have the most starts in opening day on opening day in Cardinals history. Nope. It's Bob Gibson uh, because of course it's Bob Gibson. He was consistent for so long for the Cardinals uh, in that ace role. It was just a monster. I, I don't have the numbers written down, but I remember when he passed last year, the, the stats that were being thrown out on social media, it's like, these aren't real. There's no way like the things he was able to do. It's just incredible. And some of the footage that was released on social media, whether it be Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, it's just like, wow. He, it, it almost seemed like he was before his time. Uh, it, it's, it's a shame we lost him, but we, we got to see throughout his whole career. He provided so many great memories, not only for the Cardinals, but for baseball. He was a, a freak of nature is how a lot of people uh, described him. People that were able to watch him in, in live time, in person, in St. Louis at uh, what was the old Cardinals park called Sportsman Park, I believe is back is where he played in St. Louis. He didn't play at Bush, um, but he, he was just a freaking nature for the Cardinals and that he was a unique once in a lifetime player. And everything that I've read about Bob Gibson or been told about Bob Gibson is just how good he was and how consistent he was at a great level for the Cardinals. So obviously uh, was a shoe in to be the ace for uh, my all time Cardinals team for reliever. I, um, I'm pulling a little loophole, I'll be honest. I'm going with Adam Wainwright because Adam Wainwright started his career out of the bullpen, and I had to figure out a way to get Wainwright into this team, and this is how I'm doing it. Uh, Wainwright, I mentioned him when talking about Bob Gibson. He's one of the best of all time for the Cardinals, and I assumed he was going to have all these records. It's Bob Gibson. Uh, but Wainwright's there, right there at number two. He's going to break some of Gibson's records because he's been just so consistent over time. Uh, out of the bullpen, he was really good. People might forget that. He, he's – he secured the 2006 World Series for the Cardinals uh, when the guy that was the closer that I'm going to mention just a little bit went down. Uh, Wainwright, is, he's just been so consistent over time, playing for the Cardinals for this is year 16. I mean, that's insane longevity for a pitcher, especially with how big he is. People, I think, don't realize how big Wainwright is. He's like an NBA player out there. He's like six foot seven, six foot eight, big old dude that throws gas, and he's just – he's still doing it. Like, even – Today on opening day, everybody's talking about the last dance for uh, Yachty and uh, Pujols. And he's like, hey, let's calm down. I still got gas in the tank. Like, you never know. I might be playing next year. So that's that's exciting. I, I had to get Wayno in here. And then closer, Jason Isringhausen. I That was the guy growing up that he he came out of the bullpen. He shut it down. Uh, obviously, I, I alluded to what happened in those six playoffs when Rain, Wainwright stepped up to be the closer when Isringhausen got hurt. Uh, but Isringhausen was the man. I think it was – I read it was like for seven or eight years as the closer of the Cardinals. That's insane longevity for a closer with how, how hard they throw. You, you don't really see that. Uh, and he was just so good over that time. Did so many great things. Was so consistent out of that bullpen for them. It was a huge deal. And, uh, yeah, I was really happy to get Israel housing as my closer. All right. Awesome stuff. Uh, awesome stuff. Love all the picks. Love the drafts. Did you have any alternates that didn't make your list? So I mentioned uh, Jim Edmonds and Matt Holliday. Those were two that I really wanted to get in there, but, I mean, can't put them in over three Hall of Famers. Chris Carpenter was really close to getting the starter spot, but, Bob, I, I mean, Bob Gibson's a Hall of Famer. I, you, can't, you can't overlook Hall of Famers. Uh, and then there were guys that, like, 
growing up watching, like I wanted to fit him in, but it's just like there's so many great talents. Like I wanted to get David Freeze on this team. I just couldn't do it. I like Nolan Arenado is a generational player. I can't put him in over Nolan Arenado. And then there's like there's just there's guys that like have like little niches in my head that I'm like, I want them on my all-time Cardinals team. It's just they weren't good enough. Uh Holiday, Edmonds, and uh Chris Carpenter were the only ones that were like good enough to like actually be on this team, but just guys were better that made uh made the lineup. Uh what about you? Uh, so I had a couple of Hall of Famers I did overlook. Uh, Al Kaline and Jack Morris both could have made the list. Uh, Jack Morris, uh, JV will be a Hall of Famer, so it's tough to put Jack Morris over JV. But Al Kaline definitely could have gone in over uh, someone like uh, Granderson or someone like JD Martinez. But I think both of those guys just for Tigers fans that are my age, more signify what the Tigers were growing up. Uh, and then I had more guys like that, like Maglio Ordonez, Prince Fielder, obviously. Austin Jackson was a great center fielder for a long time. And Placido Polanco, we've talked about him. He was a, a very, very consistent second baseman for a very long time. And if I wanted to pick someone that I knew, I was going Polanco for sure. But uh, awesome stuff. Love the draft. We'll have that out there so you can vote on those polls uh, as quick as possible. All right. To wrap up our MLB previews, we decided to dive in-depth into our expectations for our teams this year. Dylan, I'll throw it to you first. How do you expect the Cardinals to be this year? So I think the Cardinals are in a two-team race for the NL Central. I think there are only two teams that are really going to compete. It's them and the Milwaukee Brewers. And like the Reds, they sold everything during the offseason. Sonny Gray's gone. Nick Castellanos is gone. Jesse Winker's gone. Tucker Barnhart's gone. Like They, they just sold the entire team, so they're going to struggle. The Cubs broke up their clue, crew last year. The Pirates are the Pirates. I mean, they, they've got a star in O'Neill Cruz that they just won't call up. Brian Hayes, uh, unfortunately, as you're listening to this t- on Friday, he got hurt uh, during opening day. From everything that seems, he's going to be okay, but – Brian Hayes can't stay healthy. That that sucks. Um, and then what's going to happen with Brian Reynolds? Who knows? Um, it's, there's a lot of question marks with a lot of the NL Central teams, which is good for Milwaukee and St. Louis. Uh, it The air in St. Louis, it just feels like this season's different. Last year, there was a lot of momentum with uh, the pickups of Nolan Arenado. But this year, it's like, hey, we've got it together. They saw what they did last year with the 17-game winning streak. And I really think they're going to put it all together under new management. And you got Pujols in there who's acting like a player manager. Uh, they they said – Wainwright said when they were leaving spring training, it was like the day before uh, in Florida, Corey Dickerson was leaving to go home, and he saw Pujols was still hitting. So he left the parking lot, went back in, changed into gym attire, and started w- working out with Albert for like another two hours. That kind of mentality that Albert's going to instill is going to go a long way in helping this team – I'm really, really excited to see that. I mean, you've got the three guys in Wainwright, Molina, and Pujols, who are the old guard. And then you've got guys like Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, who are legit all-stars. And then you've got Tyler O'Neill, who's emerging as a superstar, maybe. I mean, he his emergence is huge. So you've got the old big three, the new big three, and then you got a bunch of question marks of guys that are they going to step up? Can Harrison Bader become consistent? Can Paul DeYoung take over shortstop? What's Tommy Edmond going to do? Can he get his back going? His defense is awesome. Um, there's a lot of question marks. Dylan Carlson, he's so, so young, 23 years old. What's he going to be? What Are these guys going to turn him into something? It's just there's a lot of question marks, and it's exciting question marks. Um, I, I really think this team's going to be really solid. They just have to stay healthy. Uh, right now it's Alex Reyes and Jack Flaherty are out, who are two big arms for him. Uh, when they get back, it's going to be interesting to see how all that works out. Um, and then – 
I, I the thing that scares me about Flaherty being out, our, the rotation is really short. And right now the five-man rotation ends with Jordan Hicks, who has not thrown since 2018. And when he was throwing in 2018, he was a reliever. And now he's being slotted into a, a starting spot, which when I saw it was confusing. Because when Jordan Hicks was throwing big league innings, it was like late innings, like like semi-closing. And now he's sliding into a starter spot, which, I mean, Hicks has shown he's shown uh, flares of, like, potential, but he's also been hurt for four years. So it's it's that's kind of concerning. But if the team's contending, they're going to make moves. There's no doubt about it. Um, I, I think the two things that scare me are the starting pitching rotation being just it's a little wonky with Wainwright being the ace and he's being, he's 41 years old. And if they get hurt, things could get weird. Uh, and then shortstop Paul DeYoung. I, I've really, really liked DeYoung his whole career, but he did not have a good year last year. He really, really needs to pick it up. I, this team has a lot of potential and you know, you can just tell they want to win with it being Pujols last dance, Molina's last dance, who knows what Wainwright's doing. Um, they want to win, and they, they won last year. They they won the 17 straight games. They made the playoffs and then had their hearts crushed by the Dodgers. They I really think they can put it all together and win a lot of games against a really weak central and then win games. They, they just have to win games against good teams, and that's, that's what it's going to come down to. I mean, it's the Cardinals. The Cardinals are going to do Cardinal things. They're going to be in it at the end of the year, and I'm excited to see it. I, I, I have really, really high hopes for this team. and I, I expect them to win the central, I'll be honest. I – the Brewers don't scare me, and I'm sure this is going to age horribly. This is going to be like old takes expressed, like freezing cold. The Brewers are going to win a million games. But I just – I don't know. It feels like old school Cardinals. It feels, it feels like they should win a lot of games this year, and I'm really, really, really excited. Uh, what's your outlook on the Tigers? So I have been alluding to it, but anyone who knows the MLB knows the Tigers are like on the precipice of being one of the most – exciting teams to watch uh, just going through our projected starting lineup we've got Akil Badu in left Robbie Grossman in center uh, Meadows in right uh, we've got Javi Baez at short we've got Jonathan Scope at second we've got Spencer Togelson at first we've got Jaime Candelario at third we've got Miguel Cabrera at DH and we've got Tucker Barnhart behind the dish I outside of Torkelson who is a rookie and but a former number one overall pick rookie there's like zero holes in that lineup. I I do not see a guy that you want to throw to. Robbie Grossman's coming off the best year of his career. Akil Badu is one of the most exciting young players coming into the league right now. Uh, then you've got guys like Javi Baez, Jaime Candelario, which if you haven't seen Candelario play, he is one of the most productive hitters uh, on our team. You've got Miguel Cabrera, who when he's on is – still Miguel Cabrera and he looks like he's at least got at least something going on uh, throughout spring training and then everywhere. I mean, it's just everywhere. It just seems like they've got good players. And then you throw on Casey Mize and Tariq's Google, who were two of the best young arms last year. Uh, you add Eduardo Rodriguez, and then you add all of that into an AL central, which has been weak for years and no one outside of Minnesota really made any moves. Uh, the White Sox got worse. I, I don't care what you say about what they did, but you lose Craig Kimbrell and obviously Garrett Crochet. You, you didn't expect to have to have Tommy John surgery, but you lose those two arms and really didn't add anything other than AJ Pollock in that trade for, for Kimbrell, which is 
good, but not great. And I think you're, you're losing more than you're gaining in that sense. Uh, and obviously the twins got Correa, but is that single move more going to be enough to overcome all of the moves the Tigers made, adding Eduardo Rodriguez, adding Javi Baez, you know, adding Tucker Barnhart, all of these hole filling moves that the Tigers made last year. Is that going to be enough to get over the Correa hump? I, I, I think so. I, I think projections for us are way too low right now. I think at worst, we're the third best team in this AL Central right now behind the White Sox and the Twins. And I think at best, we run away with this. Like, it's a weak division. I don't think the Twins, like, we thought the Twins were supposed to be really good last year, and they weren't. We, the White Sox have only won the, they've really won the division by default because they've been the most competent team in a really weak division. I think we're going to be better than competent this year. I think all of those young uh, moves, all of those young players that we've been waiting on for so long finally come to fruition this year and and turn into a solid team. I think the biggest concern right now is if we, if we're going a bit too early, if we're going a bit all in too early when these guys are a bit too young, uh, Torkelson got drafted in 2020 and he's making his debut in 2022. I mean, that's a, that's a quick turnaround. Casey Mize did not spend a lot of time in the minor leagues. Neither did Tariq Skubal. Uh, and even Matt Manning, who's our, our, probably our fourth guy in the rotation right now, he didn't spend much time in the minor league either. So could they have spent more time in the minor leagues? Sure, but I'd much rather be in the position we're in right now than like, like we've been talking about the Pirates, where they they've had so much young talent and they just don't feel like cashing in on it at any time. I, I I'd rather go too early, pull the trigger too early when we know we've got all this talent, than wait and have it never come to fruition, and then we're you know we're selling all of this talent to someone else. So it, it's exciting to be a Tigers fan right now because it feels like we're finally pulling the trigger on something that's been planned for a really long time. And we're going to see if it turns out to be the the right move. I think, you know, we're going to give Torkelson some time to, to grow into it, but he's going to be, we're relying on him to be the next, I don't want to say the next Miguel Cabrera, but he was a, he's a number one overall pick at first base for a reason. You don't, we're not expecting him to be an all or a gold glove first baseman. We're expecting him to hit the cover off the ball. If he can do that, if he can step into that role, why, why not the Tigers? Why not? Why can't they? I think the AL is, is going to be a very interesting, especially with how tight the AL East is going to be. I think it's going to be a very interesting playoffs once everything uh, plays out. So, uh, you know, I think you win the AL central, you win your division and we'll, let's see, let's see what happens. Uh, I, I hope for that. I'm really hoping for that. And I think it's possible. I, 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 there's not been many times in the past few years where I could say that even competing for the AL central crown is possible. So uh, it's an exciting time to be a Tigers fan. So hopefully uh, I don't even know, are we scheduled to play each other again? Cause we played last year. I, I would doubt that we play again next this year. I have no clue. The Tigers. No idea. There's too many games. We'll have to go through the schedule and see, but if it might be Dylan and Dylan Bowl part two, uh, because we after the Michigan Tennessee game. But uh, it's exciting stuff. We'll take a quick break from baseball as we get into our question and answer stuff. Dylan, I'm throwing it to you first because your question concerns uh, the newest eliminated team from the NBA playoffs. Yeah, um, something that a lot of people have been talking about. But going back to like last like October, we were really high on this team. And it's the Los Angeles Lakers. 
they've been eliminated from the play-in tournament, and I don't think anyone saw this coming, especially before the season. No one thought this would be the case. And my question is just what happened to the Lakers? So I think uh, what I had thought out in my thought processes is I think a few trademarks of LeBron-led teams went out the window this year for that team, and that severely affects how teams built around him can be just like their ceiling. Uh, Before LeBron got to L.A., he never dealt with serious injuries. That was one of the arguments that people used used when you were in the GOAT argument between Michael and LeBron it's he never got hurt he never spent time away from the league because he was so good at taking care of his body and that was a part of it but at this point he age has caught up to him you can't expect a man to not get hurt all the time but when he does get hurt you see what that does to that roster I mean you see what what taking LeBron off of the Lakers does I mean even when Anthony Davis was healthy it was a much harder team to win with, with LeBron off the floor. So that when that changed this year, that roster got a lot worse. And on the same token, AD was hurt a lot of the year too. I mean, that's, there's not many times where I go back and look at really good LeBron led teams and their, his counterpart was also hurt. When you go back to it, it's, you know, when Kyrie and Kevin Love got hurt and they got the floor wiped with them in the, in the finals by golden state. So there's not many times where LeBron led teams has even survived the second best player getting hurt. So to have a guy like Anthony Davis, who's so unreliable in that sense, who's hurt more than he's healthy, I think was kind of a bad move in terms of, you know, you can't predict injuries, but if there's one guy you could predict injuries with, it's Anthony Davis. The dude's been hurt his whole career. And I I think it's more of a, I think his body wasn't meant to be built the way it is. I don't think human beings were meant to be built the way Anthony Davis is with how athletic he is and how big he is. Uh, So I think like there, there's just problems there that he's not going to be able to overcome in his career. He's not going to be able to stay healthy hundred percent. And that's just part, that was a, a bad move by the Lakers to invest so much in a guy like that. And then when you look at that, when you take those two off of that roster, what's left? I mean, I was watching that final game against the Suns when they were on the precipice of elimination. At one point they had Stanley Johnson, Avery Bradley and DJ Augustine on the floor. That's the 2018 Pistons. And we got swept by the Lakers in, in four games. I mean, and that was in 2018. That was when some of those players still had, you know, a piece of, of what they had left. Uh, I think, you know, I think if this team was healthy, maybe, but I think once everyone got hurt, once everything happened the way that it did, uh, there was just no chance that they were going to uh, make the playoffs. It was just, there, there was too much going against them with how hurt LeBron was and how hurt Anthony Davis was that, like I said, that roster just looked terrible at the end. There was nothing left. So that's what I'm feeling about the Lakers. I feel like with the LeBron injuries, the Anthony Davis injuries, it was just too much to overcome. That roster was just too, too depleted. But uh, what was your thoughts on the, 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 the catastrophe that was this Lakers season? To be honest, I'm flabbergasted by it. It just doesn't make sense. Like we sat here in October or whatever it was, and we're like, it's going to be the Brooklyn Nets and the LA Lakers. It's going to be Kevin Durant and LeBron James. That's the NBA Finals. 
That's the two best teams. And that's just not what it was. And I think it's this new wave of basketball in the NBA where it's these teams that are just like, they have stars. Like we're not getting away from where you don't need star power. Like the Phoenix Suns, they have stars all over the floor, but they play as a team where you've got DeAndre and you've got uh, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and they just play as one just like unit. And that has created where they're like almost have 60 wins, like an insane season from them. Uh, the Grizzlies, the same way, like one of the deepest units in the NBA. Obviously, they've got John, Jaron Jackson Jr. Like you just go down that list. They've all played so well this year. And it's the same way in the East. Like the Bucks are so solid all around. Um, the Sixers have solid uh, a solid unit. The Bulls have a solid unit. Even the Cleveland Cavaliers, as you get farther down, they're just a solid unit. And that that's how uh, I think the NBA is going more that way rather than having a team like the Lakers where you have LeBron scoring 56 points but they still lose that, that, that style of plays being faded out. And I think, I think that was a big reason for it. And the more you think about it, um, LeBron, when he was doing these type things a couple of years ago in Cleveland, he was doing it in a really, really weak Eastern conference where he was able to do this and he was going against bad teams. The West from top to bottom is just really good. And there's not really any teams in the West that are just bad. Like Houston's bad. And that's like about it. And, um, that he just wasn't able to do it against just a super loaded West. And like you mentioned, the injury uh, problems with Anthony Davis and LeBron, that those things just caught up to him. And I mean, I think this is, this is not going to become, well, I mean, it's not like LeBron's got a ton of time left. I don't imagine he's, he's still got uh, gas in the tank, but it's not like he's got another 10 years or anything. I don't think this is the norm though. I I, I think this is just going to get fire under their butt and they're, they're going to be right back at it. I, I just, I think this is going to be an outlier. I really do. Uh, but, I mean, who knows? It's it's just a really weird situation where you have a team that so makes so many expectations. And it's just – I don't know if it's the media where it's like L.A., that's the team. Like, they're supposed to be good. And there's just so many expectations. Because when you look at that roster, it's just not very good. Past LeBron and AD, they, they don't have a ton. It's a bunch of old guys and a bunch of – like you mentioned, it's like a Pistons roster. Like – uh, not this year's Pistons, but like a couple of years ago when the Pistons were real bad. Um, and it's just, it makes sense why they're not doing so good. It's just not a good roster. And um, as an LA fan, it has to be really frustrating. It has to feel like you're wasting LeBron and you're wasting Anthony Davis. And they know how good those guys are. And they should be in the playoffs making big-time memories and moments for that franchise, and they're not. And that has to be so frustrating. Um, I'm very, very curious what L.A. does from here, what LeBron does from here, what Anthony Davis does from here. Anthony Davis, I don't know if anyone in the NBA stock has been hurt worse in the last five years than Anthony Davis. It's been less than that, three years. The NBA time is so weird because it feels like Anthony Davis has been in L.A. for a long time. It's been like three years. Uh, His stock has just fallen so much. Anthony Davis, like, was considered like a top, like, number one in the league. And I don't think anyone thinks like that anymore. He's, I, the injuries have just hurt his perception in a lot of people's eyes, and, and it sucks to see. Um, it's just a sad situation. I understand, like, L.A. is, like, the big, like, Goliath of the league. Like, they're the dynasty team. But, like, I don't know. I, I wanted to see the Lakers make the play-in. And this might be me because I made a bet on the Lakers to make the uh, NBA Finals. And if I would have won, I would have won, like, $2,000. But I, I was just really heartbroken when they got eliminated. I wanted them in the, that play-in tournament. I wanted to see them go against that Pel- this Pelicans team that has 
should have had no business being anywhere near the playoffs, and they're going to be in the play-in tournament. The Clippers team that have faced a lot of the problems that the Lakers have, and they're going to be in the play-in tournament. Uh, I think it would have been just really cool things to see, and it's not going to happen, and it sucks. Um, but, yeah, I, now it just creates storylines for the future. What what does the future hold for Russell Westbrook? It's not L.A. Russell Westbrook will be out of there, I as he should be. I If I was Russell Westbrook, I'd be like, get me out of here as soon as – it's July 1st or whatever it is that the NBA can make trades. Russ should get as far away as possible. Go to Toronto. I mean, just get away because the way they've treated him is just crazy. For a future Hall of Famer, I mean, he's just been absolutely just disrespected. And I, I know his play has been great, but Russ doesn't deserve that. No player deserves that. So I, there's going to be a lot of moves and a lot of, a lot of interesting things happening in L.A., no doubt. And a motivated LeBron – is probably the scariest athlete of all time. So I, I'm really, really excited to see what LeBron does next season after a lot of rest. Because I, I, it feels like ever since we started this show, we talked about how LeBron hasn't had a ton of rest. LeBron's going to be on more rest than he's ever had going into next season. So that'll be it's going to be a lot of fun to see. Uh, and obviously, it's the Lakers. We're never going to get away from talking about the Lakers and LeBron James. So I, I, I'm excited to uh, circle back to this uh, a couple months probably. Once the playoffs are over, we can, we can get a little LeBron talk and Lakers talk back in here. Yeah, I think a couple things that got overlooked coming into the season was that, one, the, the Lakers were old. I mean, even though I think we kind of just – LeBron was just this ageless being that would never really deteriorate at any point. But he he's he's on the older side of his career. There's no question. He's a couple years away from retiring. And, uh, I mean, the average age of that team was, like, in the 30s when, when the year started. So we should have probably known that they were going to be hurt a lot, and a team like that really isn't going to hold up if they have to deal with a lot of injuries is what they did. And people need to give teams like the Phoenix, Phoenix Suns a lot more credit. I mean, that team last year going to the NBA Finals – uh, was really good and then we all kind of were like okay the Lakers will outdo the Suns this year no the Suns are good the Suns are a very very good team and like you said I think more teams are going to be constructed the way of the Suns rather than the way of the Lakers where not every team can go out and buy the best player in the world you know not every team is going to luck into a Giannis or a LeBron or a KD in the world so you're going to have to go out and get you know, a Devin Booker who's maybe in the top 20, top 25. Chris Paul, who is, was one of the best point guards in the league, but is on the other side of a, a great career. And, you know, DeAndre Ayton was a number one overall pick. I mean, they, you know, overlook that, but he is also a very, very good player. So teams like that are, like you said, the future of what, what NBA teams are going to do. I think the Pistons are very much trying to do the same thing with the way that they're drafting players. Um, on to my question. Which is something I've been thinking about ever since the national title game, because obviously a little bit tainted for me and us because we became a North Carolina podcast. We went on that run with those Tar Heels fans for a little bit, but it felt like everything added up in a storybook way that should have been like one of the best March Madnesses of all time. You had four blue blood programs. You had coach K against North Carolina and you had one of the biggest comeback of all time in the national title game uh, and Kansas winning in the, in one of the most exciting games of all time. But I walked away from March Madness and I felt like kind of felt tainted by the end, by the end with all of the things that were going on around coach K with all of the things 
with Kansas and their uh, off the court allegations and stuff like that, that we're still waiting. Uh, so I don't know. I guess my question is what was your overall take of March Madness this year? And did it feel tainted to you in the same way it felt tainted to me? Um, I'll start with my overall take. I really enjoyed it. I, the first like two days was some of the most fun I've had watching college basketball, like in the past like five years. And Obviously, it was helped by Murray State winning in an absolute classic against San Francisco that has now like been forgotten to time, and nobody's talked about it since it happened. But that was like the game of the first uh, – well, that in the St. Peter's-Kentucky uh, game. But that was like the game of the first two days. Those two teams went out there and gave it their all, and they were just two really good teams. And it was so much fun to be on the winning side of that, and then Tennessee looking dominant in the first round. It was just – it seemed like everything was like – sky's the limit. Like I was like, Murray state's going to go on a Cinderella run. Tennessee's dominant. And then everything crashed so hard. And I was like, man, I hate this tournament. This is the worst thing ever. I want nothing to do with the NCAA tournament. Tennessee lost Murray state lost to St. Peter's. I was like, I, this is terrible. I, I didn't watch um, the Sunday portion of the round of 32. I just didn't watch basketball. I, I was like, I don't want anything to do with this. I, I like felt like sports depressed. Like it, it was that moment. Like, why, why do I do this? Why do I watch sports? And then uh, the sweet 16 rolled around. And I was like, Oh yeah, this is why. Cause this tournament was sick. It, it was just so good. There were so many good games just throughout. Um, and there's just so much good things that happened. Uh, the run UNC went on, which obviously we had a microscope on as we followed them um, was incredible. And it, it just seemed like every game, it was like, oh, this is the end. They're, they're not going to be able to get past Baylor. They're not going to be able to get past UCLA. And they just kept doing it. They kept doing what they – they made shots. Baycott dominated down low. They played decent enough defense, and they got it done. Uh, and they kept going on the run. And then it was Coach K. Who's going to beat Coach K? And he just kept getting past Test. And it's like, okay, I mean, Coach K keeps going. And obviously – People could see it coming, UNC Duke, and it's like, oh, boy. And the thing standing in between UNC Duke was this plucky 15 seed from New Jersey, St. Peter's, the Peacocks, Shaheem Holloway's team that suddenly, once they got to March Madness, was unbeatable. And you got Doug Eddard with that mustache. And it's like, is this what's going to keep us from Duke, UNC, in the Final Four? And obviously North Carolina went out there and absolutely curb stomped them. And it's like, well, this couldn't be going any better. And we got the Final Four of Duke, UNC, and then Kansas Villanova, which I feel like no one talked about Kansas Villanova. It was like Kansas Villanova got like no hype which was unfair because it was a good game. But Duke-UNC obviously was like the biggest game of all time in college basketball. The only way it could have been bigger was like if it was the national championship. But it was Final Four, and it, it lived up to the hype. It was such a good game. Um, and I, I just from watching it, I remember sitting there watching I'm like, this is fun. Like I'm having a great time watching this game. And it felt like uh, North Carolina, in our, our eyes, obviously, North Carolina felt like the good side. Duke felt like the evil empire. And it's like, this is awesome. Like, it felt like I was watching a movie. And it just it was just a different experience in sports. It really was. It was just a, so, so much fun. And then the national championship delivered. It was a game of two halves. Uh, UNC went on the run in the first half. Then Kansas, you mentioned the historic comeback. And I just, coming out of it, I was just like, this was a good tournament. I didn't even think about it. I really didn't. I was like, this is a fun tournament. I was like, I wish UNC would have won. But, I mean, I, I like, we've mentioned a couple times on the show, um, or I did, I was like, Kansas is good. Like, I remember, like, back in January, I was like, this Kansas team, like, don't sleep on them. Because I, I got to cover a few Big 12 games. I was like, they're, they're solid. Like, I, obviously, it's Kansas. You got to question them. Like, Bill Self in the tournament, like, you never know. 
Uh, but they, I mean, they got it done. They were on this crazy run. They, they, they were dominant just throughout. And they, they, they really like, like Baylor was last year where they kind of went overlooked throughout the tournament and they just dominated. And that's what Kansas did. Um, and I, I just had a lot of fun with it. I, I not once, like when you text me and you're like, do you think it was Taylor? I was like, oh yeah, the, all that stuff is there. And I just didn't even think I, I kind of had the blinders on, which credit to whoever's doing Kansas's PR. Cause I like had no thoughts of it at all. I was just like, man, like what a national championship, what a run. And once you said that, I was like, dang. And it's almost like, um, you put like the, the parasite in the, in the stuff and it just spreads. I'm like, man, is it tainted? And the more I think about it, I'm like, mm, I don't know. And then I, and then you think about it as like, is this whole season tainted with all the things going on? LSU, all that is just a whole mess. It's, I almost want to think in my, in my simple sports brand, I just want to like turn all that off. And just be like, that was a fun season. That was a really fun season. It was a fun tournament. Like it wasn't an all time great tournament. We don't have like any of these moments that like stand out the history, like the test of time. It was just a fun tournament. It wasn't like disappointing. I don't know. I, in my, my fun sports brain where I don't want to overanalyze, I'm going to say, no, it's not tainted. And I just had a fun time watching the 2022 NCAA tournament. Yeah. So I like the, the thought process. Uh, I'll take you through my thought process. I want it was me because uh, like I said, I was recapping it in my mind and it's like, there were like a few moments where it's, they, they should be, I, this should be an iconic tournament. You know, you've got St. Peter's being the first 15 seed to make it to a sweet 16. Uh, that will, will live on. They might be the Cinderella team that people reference from now on, especially with how big that school is and how it was. Then you've got the Coach K stuff and the, the North Carolina run and then the Kansas comeback. I mean, the largest comeback in national championship history, it seemed, it, it seemed, too good to be true. Like I said, like a storybook, right? Like you said, a movie was, was going on in, in the final four. When it started to feel tainted to me was around the time that Duke kind of made their run past the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight. And social media was trying to convince everyone that this that you're supposed to be sad about Coach K leaving. I am not sad about Coach K leaving. It's, it's almost the same as when Coach Saban retires, when he inevitably does. I will not feel sad about that one bit. I'm not sad about that at all. And to think like, because I think when we look back on this as, you know, sports journalists and sports historians, when we look back, we're going to look back on these coaches that clearly broke the rules. And before NIL was a thing that clearly skated past the rules and the NCAA just let them get away with it. And we're going to go, why were we fans of that? Like, why did we allow that to happen? Why did, why was there ever a Duke where there was people like when Jalil Okafor said, I was cashing bigger checks at Duke than I was, than it was in my rookie year in the NBA. And he was a top three pick. Uh, and we know that. And that's not surprising to anyone because we know what Duke and Alabama and those play, teams do. So that take all of that and then try to make me feel nostalgic about the guy that runs that program. Absolutely not. I am not going to do that. So that to me was where it started to feel tainted. And then I saw where Kansas was going and I saw what Kansas was doing. And I remembered all of those because when LSU, when the LSU stuff happened at the beginning of the tournament, I was like, Hey, isn't can wasn't Kansas involved in that too. And I went through and remembered all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, 
they're right on the precipice of getting a bunch of violations right now. They are, they are a team much like that Louisville team that beat Michigan back in the day. They're going to be a team where we look back. It's like, Oh, of course they won because all of these players were like, they were all illegal. Like none of these players should have been on the team. None of these. So to me, I think maybe I caught it a bit too early. And so I, it kind of ruined the, it ruined the final four to me where I was like, okay, Kansas can't win because I know that's going to really taint it in my eyes. And then they ended up d- did winning. I was at least happy that North Carolina vanquished Duke like that at least like gave it like the, because if we had a Kansas Duke final four or national championship, I've been like, I'm out. I, I might not even watch the game. I would have been like, this is the, this is the most broken. This is the, I think because Duke and Kansas are the definition of why the NCAA is broken. I think that's what taints it in my eyes. And we need to be getting into the the realm of like the North Carolinas. I mean, I know North Carolina is still a blue blood, but it's like, those are the fun stories that where a team can be an eight seed and win the tournament because, you know, they just have a, a good, well-constructed roster versus where Duke or Kansas, we know what they, we know if they've done, we, you don't have to, you don't even have to say it, but at some point it's all going to come crashing down. And I think it's going to, it's going to feel a lot worse once the inevitable happens, once all these violations for Kansas inevitably come out because they're going to, and we're going to be like, Oh, well that, that kind of really ruins what, what they just did in the national championship to me. So um, I think right now, like, I think, like you said, find the moments from this March madness to enjoy and remember the good parts of it. Like I'll remember Michigan upsetting Tennessee. I know that's not a great memory for you, but that was a great memory for me. Uh, The St. Peter's run, obviously again, not a great memory for you, but an iconic run, an iconic Cinderella run stuff like that, where you can take away and go, okay, this is like, there were still pure moments from this March madness and it's that's why March Madness is so great. There's so many things that you can't predict, you can't expect and stuff like that. But it hurt me to see a team like Kansas end up going on to win when we know what's just around the corner. I don't know how much, like we don't know how severe it's going to be, but I don't think the added spotlight of winning a national championship is going to help them. I, I honestly don't think that usually is not the best thing when you win a national championship. It reminds me a lot of like when LSU wins the national championship. It, it's not, it's not smart, but it's just, it is what it is. You, they did what they had to do and now they're going to suffer the consequences uh, at, at the end of the day. Like we're still going to remember Kansas winning that national championship. We're still going to remember their comeback, but to me, it just felt a bit, it felt a bit tainted from the beginning. It's going, it, it, I hope that this is like this, the turning point in college basketball and in college sports in general, where it's like these teams like this are not just guaranteed to win national championships or compete for them. It's, it's, it's everyone after this because the NIL type stuff kind of evens the playing field out. Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say. I'm hoping we're at a turning point that the NIL stuff kind of eliminates this. It makes a more even playing field and we get away from all like, especially you mentioned the coach saving stuff and beginning college football. I think the SEC has ran with, oh yeah, every Alabama running back has a new Mustang by the time they get to Tuscaloosa. They've ran with that for the past 15 years. Uh, hopefully that stuff gets evened out. The playing field gets uh, even. And I, I think the NIL stuff, it's, it's going to be really interesting to watch. I, I've i been pro-NIL this whole time. I still am. But I there's a there's a, a 
shaking of the grounds. That's probably not the right term, but I can't think of anything better. Um, where, especially in college basketball, we've seen in the past couple weeks where we've seen, like, I personal uh, Murray State lost every single player. Obviously, coaching changed, but a lot of the players are going to bigger programs like LSU, Juice Hill, and Trey Hannibal, both transferred to LSU, where they'll be with Coach McMahon. And obviously, they've got the coach connection. McMahon's there, two assistants. Also, and I explained this to my family. I was like, why wouldn't they? You get to go to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. They're going to cash in. Juice Hill was had NIL deals in Murray, Kentucky. I love Murray, Kentucky more than most places on planet Earth. If you can get an NIL deal in Murray, Kentucky, you can make bank in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So major kudos to Juice Hill. And Trey Hannibal is one of the most enjoyable basketball players to watch on this planet. So I can only imagine people in Baton Rouge will love him. And they'll love him even more that he plays basketball like a football player. If I know anything about Louisiana, they love football, and specifically LSU. So Trey Hannibal will fit right in. And you can't blame him at all. But it's a scary, scary thing for mid-major programs like Murray State where they're going to – I mean, they're going to see teams just wiped out where it's like they're going to see opportunities where they can go make money, and you can't blame them. I mean, you just can't. You you, you gotta gotta root for your guys, and hopefully, like Murray State's such a historic program, you gotta imagine we're gonna lure in uh, talent. But like, it's just it's a scary thing. It, it almost becomes where, especially with transfer portal rules, where it's like one year, like you have one free transfer. So like the mid major programs are becoming proving grounds, and. Man, that's it's kind of scary as someone that follows a mid-major program so closely. But at the same time, it's like, hey, go get your money. And that's part of the level playing field. And, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And I think it'll be a uh, – we'll see it kind of uh, – that that's where you'll see those North Carolina top type runs where guys like Juice Hill go to LSU – which LSU is a bad example because LSU is not going to any tournaments anytime soon. But you see a guy of that level go to a school like, I don't know, Purdue, and they help them lead them to a national championship run where Notre or Purdue's struggled in tournaments. Uh, and you've got guys that have played at mid-major level and they've played so well and they get to step up and help and go against these programs that have been giants and like a Duke that, help page a little for more money in college than he made as an NBA rookie. Uh, hopefully all that stuff will level out and NIL and transfer portal and all that stuff plays a huge factor. And we'll be diving into that so, so much because that's such a big hot pressing issue in the world of college sports. But yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun stuff, but I, to wrap it all up, that tournament was awesome. It just was, I had a lot of fun with it. It was, it was like a roller coaster. It was up, 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 and then way down, and then they lured me back in. It was, it was a thrill. I loved it. I, I can't – I just have to turn on the blinders. I can't let it be tainted. We will have to watch the news for the next couple of weeks and see how that Kansas stuff plays out. But uh, love that stuff. Love the question and answer stuff. Back on to baseball. It's this week in sports, and we're picking our way too early award winners and our World Series favorites from each league. Uh, I'll throw it to Dylan. Do you want to start in the AL? Do you want to start in the NL? What do you want? I'll start in the AL. Go ahead. I'm throwing it to you. Okay. Uh, my a- You want me to just do all my awards? Yeah, just do all your awards for one, and then we'll Okay. Get. My AL MVP from the Toronto Blue Jays, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Um, I, I think Vlad Guerrero was very close to the MVP last year. I think I we talked about this a couple weeks ago with our AL preview. I think the Blue Jays are going to be awesome. 
And I, I think Vlad Guerrero is a huge reason for it. Uh, he's going to follow in the footsteps of his father. He, he's he's going to be an all-time player. I really, really believe that. Vlad Guerrero is awesome. Uh, and that's why I have him winning MVP. He's, gonna, he's got a tough field to win it from. I think, I think it's Vlad Guerrero's time. He's one of the most fun players in the league. I, I think that's his award. Um, A.L. Cy Young. Shohei Otani. The Los Angeles Angels. I wanted to give him MVP, but I, I had to fit both my guys in there. I, I think Shohei uh, is the most electric player in the league. I think he's the best player in the league, and he probably should be MVP in my mind, but I wanted Vlad Guerrero to get it. Vlad Guerrero can't win Cy Young, but Shohei can, so I, I slide Shohei in here at Cy Young. I, I just think Shohei's awesome. I, I really do. I think he's creaming the crop in the AL, and I, I would really like to see him take young, take home a Cy Young and also hit, like, 50 home runs. That would just be incredible. Um, AL Rookie of the Year, Julio Rodriguez from Seattle. I think we, we talked about Julio a couple weeks ago. I think he's set up to be a star in this league. I think he's going to be the guy that helps Seattle finally get over that hump and finally get back to the playoffs after 22 years, 21 years, whatever it's been now, uh, and finally in that drought. And I, I think Julio's going to be a huge reason. Seattle's going to have a surge in baseball again like they were 20 years ago when they were so good they had stars. Uh, and I, I, from everything that we've seen and read and watched and whatever else can be said, Julio Rodriguez looks like a future star. He he just seems like he has the it factor. He passes the eye test. Uh, so yeah, Julio Rodriguez, AL Rookie of the Year. And then for the AL pennant, I've got the Toronto Blue Jays. I just believe it's their year. I really do. I think whoever wins the AL East is probably going to win the AL pennant. I, I think it's the I think it's the Blue Jays. I, I really do. I believe in them. I just think there's so much fun, and I want to root for them. And I think it would break my heart if it was a Blue Jays Cardinals World Series. It really would. It'd be awful if it was a Cardinals Blue Jays World Series. Like I would be so conflicted. I would not know what to do with myself. I oh, I don't want to imagine that. I do, but I don't. Um, I just I love this Blue Jays team. I would really really like to see them uh, win their division and then win the pennant. I think it would just be really cool for this young core mix with just very good players throughout their organization. It'd be really cool to see led by an MVP, Vlad Guerrero Jr. And I've, it's sad because I have way more faith in that young core in Toronto than the superstar duo in uh, Anaheim. Cause I'd love to see the angels be good, but I just know they won't. And I hope I'm again, I hope this is a freezing cold take, but I just, I don't have faith in the angels. I do have faith in the blue Jays. I have been taking home the AL pennant. Uh, I'll throw it to you for your AL predictions. Yeah, love those predictions. Uh, I got one that's kind of similar. I'll, um, I'm going to start with my Cy Young. Give me Shane Bieber at Cy Young. I think that he was way on his way to a Cy Young last year before he got hurt, but I think he's one of the nastiest guys in the league. And if the Guardians are improved this year, which I think they might be, I think they've gotten a little bit better. Uh, I think it's going to be because Shane Bieber became one of the best, if not the best pitcher in the AL. Uh, I like Shane Bieber a lot. Rookie of the year, I've touched on it. It's Spencer Tarkelson. This He was drafted in 2020. He's making his debut this year. This is the first time since 2013, I believe, that we've slated someone to start at first base other than Miguel Cabrera. Uh, that's it's a long time coming. It was Prince Fielder was the last one that, that was slated there. This, he's got it all. I mean, he is going to hit the cover off the ball. He is going to hit some balls that re- that make waves on Twitter because it's like, holy crap, I didn't realize a 22-year-old dude could hit the ball that far. Um, I really hope he just does it consistently. That's really the big thing with Spencer is, is can, can he make that eye-popping stuff, make it all the way through against major league pitching? Uh, I think he can. If he does, rookie of the year is going to be a, a cakewalk for him. So for MVP, 
I have a safe pick, and that safe pick is Vlad Jr. I think not much to say. Vlad Jr. is the truth. I think uh, given what he did last year, he almost beat Shohei with what Shohei did on both sides of the ball last year. I think if Shohei takes even a step, a half a step back on either side of the ball this year, it's Vlad's, Vlad's award to win. But my kind of out there pick, I think Randy Orozarena is on his way to an MVP this year. Plus 6,000 right now in the odds, but I think this is the the conclusion of the three-year climb that Randy has been on because people don't realize Randy was scary good last year. He had 145 hits, 84 runs scored, and 69 RBIs. As I know he's been in the league for kind of like almost four years, but that was technically his rookie year last year. I mean, the dude is so MLB ready, and I think like I – I think my favorite non-Detroit team right now is are the Rays. I, I think the way that Wander Franco plays, the way that Randy plays, uh, the young players that they have, Shane Boz is going to be amazing on the mound. I think they are going to be an electric team, and I think Randy is going to take even another step, which that's the thing. If he even take if he's even possible, if it's even possible for him to take another step, that's an MVP type step if he's taking another step. So I think Randy has a real chance. And if you're looking for a long shot, uh, look for Randy. And like you said, I, I want to take the Tigers. I, I had the Tigers slated, uh, but I think whoever comes out of the AL East is going to win the American league this year. Uh, and I, like I said, I like the Rays. They're my favorite team other than the Tigers. So I think the Rays will end up doing it. They just feel like the consistent team out there where it's like, Everyone loves the Yankees. Everyone loves Boston. Obviously, Toronto's young and fun, but the Rays are so consistent. They win so often. They're always right up there with everyone. So I think they've been constructed to be good. Uh, I'd like to see Isak Paredes make the roster for them this year after they, we traded for Meadows. I think he'll end up making a big impact for them. And I think I think the Rays end up getting it done. They go back to the World Series this year after uh, a couple of years break. But move on to the NL. What are you looking at for the NL predictions? My neck of the woods, the National League. Um, these were a lot harder than the AL. I, I think this was a lot harder, in in my opinion, anyways. I'm going to start with MVP, which was the easiest of the three in my mind. Um, and I'm going with Juan Soto from Washington. I think that's a really safe pick. And I'm going with that because Washington's going to be really bad. But Juan Soto is going to be really good. I, I, Juan Soto's special, and we've known that ever since they won that World Series when he was like a baby and was out there just mashing baseballs. Um, I think Juan Soto is going to have a really, really special season. I really hope he does because if he doesn't, man, it's going to be a bleak summer in D.C. <laughs> They're not going to have much to look forward to. So Juan, Juan's going to have to give them a reason to show up to games and tune into games because if not – Whew, we have fun in D.C. There's there's not going to be much to do in D.C. Because, man, that whew, that Washington team's not great. Uh, NL Cy Young, I did not know where to go with this. There's just – there's so many good pitchers. There's a lot of question marks with a lot of the good pitchers with injuries and so forth. Um, so I decided to go with my natural bias and go with a Kentucky boy. I'm going with Walker Bueller from the LA Dodgers uh, from Lexington, Kentucky. Always going to support the the fellas from the bluegrass. So I, I mean, Walker's awesome. He's young. I think he's got the stuff it's going to come down to if the voters split votes and Walker just ends up getting it. I, I he's going to have another solid year, but I, Cy Young's going to be so tight. I mean, DeGrom's the best pitcher in the NL. There's no doubt in my mind with that. It's just, is he going to play and, 
all the variables. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Walker Bueller. He's not the best pitcher in the NL, but I, I think he's a Cy Young type guy. And I, I definitely think he can do it. Um, rookie of the year. I wrote down O'Neill Cruz just to fire up Pittsburgh because they need some firing up and they should call him up, but I'm going to retract that. And I'm going to go with Hunter green from Cincinnati, former first round pick. He made the opening day uh, roster. Unlike O'Neill O'Neill Cruz and Hunter green. He just seems like he's got the stuff. And it's he's a guy that could be an ace in Cincinnati, something they've needed for a long time, basically since Johnny Cueto dipped out. And uh, that would be huge for them. Cincinnati's in a weird spot as an organization. They just sold half their team, like I said earlier in the offseason. They lost star players. Jesse Winker and Nick Castellanos were stars in Cincinnati. And they said deuces, have fun in Philly and Seattle, uh, which is sad. Uh Cincinnati, I, I got to go to a game at Great American last year, and it was a fun atmosphere. And those fans were fired up, and now they, they don't have much to look forward to except for Jonathan India and Hunter Green. And I, I think Hunter Green's a special player, former number one overall pick. I, I think he can get it done. I think he have a good year and take home rookie of the year because the NL rookies, it's, it's a weird spot. You have Suzuki from Chicago. O'Neill Cruz has a possibility to be electric, and then Hunter Green. Um, so that rookie of the year is a weird one to predict because guys can be called up. It, it's hard. So I'm, I'm going to go with Hunter Green. Uh, and then NL Pennant. I want to go with St. Louis. Obviously, I want to go St. Louis, but I'm not going to. I'm going to go with the Dodgers because the Dodgers have a stupid Diamond Dynasty squad. They sat there with their with their L.A. dad that works at Facebook with his credit card, and they just started swiping, and they just opened packs on Diamond Dynasty, and they got all the players they wanted, and they're going to win 150 games and just run through their schedule in a really tough division. And they're just going to run through it and they're going to win that LP in it. And no one's going to enjoy it except for like the five real Dodger fans and then all their bandwagon fans. That's going to be so frustrating. If there is a fan base, I'm okay with making mad. It's the Dodgers. I don't like the Dodgers. I can sympathize with like Cubs fans. Dodgers. I don't like them. They it drives me crazy. The Dodgers maybe annoy me, annoy me more than like the Yankees. So, yeah, I've, I've got the Dodgers winning the pennant. I don't want to have them winning the pennant. And, obviously, that, that sets up a Dodgers-Blue Jays World Series. And, oh, my goodness, that would set up, like, the entire country rooting for the team from Canada. And I'm talking about the United States, that entire country, like, joining forces with Canada to root for the Blue Jays against the Dodgers in the World Series. And I'll, I'll go ahead and get my World Series pick, the Toronto Blue Jays in seven. I'm going with that young core to submit their legacies and to create what could be the beginning of an all-time dynasty because they just have the pieces. And they, they obviously the management has made it known they're, they're willing to spend money and make moves. So if, if Vlad has the season we expect and they can just put it all together, why not upset what could be the greatest lineup ever and win a World Series? Bring it home to Mother Canada. Uh, I'll throw it to you for your NL predictions. All right, so – at Cy Young, I'm going with the easy pick. I'm going Max Scherzer. Of course, it would be DeGrom, but he got hurt again, and I don't think he's going to play enough games to qualify probably or really get an, enough votes. So uh, Scherzer has been elite. He's been elite for a year, uh, and he's going to be the new number one for the Mets, uh, and I think he wins the Cy Young, probably walking away because he's going to be really, really good. Rookie of the year, I do have O'Neill Cruz written down. I don't care if the Pirates option him back to AAA. He's going to be the best player on the Pirates roster this year whenever they inevitably call him up, especially with – 
if Cabrian Hayes is going to be hurt. He hit 310 with 17 home runs and 47 RBI in 68 games last year. He's going to be elite. I mean, he's going to be a really, really, really good. So uh, he's going to end up on the roster at some point this year, and he'll win uh, Rookie of the Year. MVP, I'm echoing you. Juan Soto, he's the best hitter in this league, period. His numbers from last year are stupid. He had 157 hits. He had 29 home runs. He hit 313. He had a 999 OPS and had 145 walks. And he was 22 years old. This man is, he's insane. He is like, I, I, I don't think people realize like he is going to be a Hall of Fame hitter. And we know that at 22 years old, he might be, he is, he's what Mike Trout is, but almost all in hitting. Like Mike Trout was a five to a player. Juan Soto is just as exciting in all, and it's all in his bat. It's all what he can do with this hit. And that's, that's scary. He's going to be very good. He's going to put up stupid numbers. Uh, and I think he's going to run away with the NL MVP this year. I think he's that much better than everyone. Uh, in terms of the pennant, I'm echoing you. The Dodgers are uh, the Dodgers were the easy pick last year, and then they added Freddie Freeman and Craig Kimbrell, and they just got better and better over the offseason. And at some point, someone's going to get hurt, and they'll add the best player at that position too. So it, it'll just end up going on. It's a cycle. I think the Dodgers are just meant to win. You could pick the Dodgers to win the World Series uh, for the next 10 years, and you'd probably get six or seven of them right. Uh, it, that's just like how the Dodgers are built right now. So uh, I'm taking the Dodgers to win the NL. Uh, the Dodgers play the Rays again. That what was that 2020 where they played in the in the bubble, the the shortened condensed season World Series. I think the Dodgers do it again, beat the Rays, and and get another World Series. And uh, you know they are the evil. Like you said, it's it's probably weird for kids that are just getting into baseball now because like when we got into baseball you're right. It was the Yankees that did this type of thing, but the Yankees still weren't very good at it. They didn't win a lot of world series. The Dodgers are good at it. They get the best players and they win a lot of games and they, they are almost a shoe in to win the world series every year. Uh, and it, it, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it almost makes me hate them more because they're actually good at what the Yankees used to be bad at back in the day. So uh, I think the Dodgers end up winning another world series this year, unfortunately. And like you said, the five real Dodgers fans, I think live in Brooklyn. So I don't, I don't think they're actually like, there'll be a couple people in Brooklyn happy about it. So uh, that is going to do it from us at the Dylan and Dylan show. Uh, DH, any final thoughts before we take off? Yeah. um, I'm going to be in Memphis this weekend to watch the Grizzlies and Pelicans. And I'm really excited um, there's murmurings that Zion Williamson is becoming available. I doubt he's going to play in Memphis for his first game of the year when they have a home game the next day. But Ja is also rumored to be almost back. He might make his return Saturday. doesn't matter. It's going to be two playoff teams going at it right before the playoffs start. This could be a first-round matchup between two-seed and seven-seed. I'm really, really excited. I've been to the FedEx Forum it's been two years now. I'm excited to see some NBA uh, action in live living color. It's going to be a lot of fun. The Grizzlies, second best team in the NBA. Get to see them in person right before the playoffs. It's going to be a blast. Uh, yeah, lots of fun stuff going on. Baseball's back. The Cardinals are back. Uh, and they just won. Uh, breaking news as you're listening on Friday. Uh, so they're on pace to go 162-0. and You heard it here first. That's all from good old DH. Yeah, that's a great trajectory to be on right now. One and a hundred thousand percent win percentage. Uh, uh, all right. 
that's going to do it from us. Here is where you can find us. You can find the show at Dylan Dylan Show on Twitter and Instagram. You can find Tunnel Vision Sports on Instagram at Tunnel Vision Sports underscore. TikTok and Twitter at underscore TV Sports. Facebook and LinkedIn at Tunnel Vision Sports. And on the web at tvsportsmag.com. Have a great weekend. It's been a great show. And I hope you guys have a great weekend and uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Bye-bye, everyone. <laughs>